Star Trek, The Nerdy Frontier. These are the discussions of the Good Time Society. Their continuing mission, to explore each episode, to seek out new topics and ridiculous observations, to boldly watch what they've already watched before. Okay, I know you weren't going to say anything, Becca, but I, I can hear it really loud, and I'm going to need you to turn, turn down, down your, your thoughts, thoughts a little a bit. Little... Yes, I agree. Yeah. Okay, I I, that's can. what I was going to say, but uh, it just sounded like it you were sounded going like to... I was going to. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. I Are they getting louder? Oh, God. Oh. Stop screaming. Oh. <laughs> Internal oh. screaming is rough. No, wait. Now I'm interested. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. I'm just thinking about the last episode. <laughs> right, not this one. <laughs> not this one, which is 320 Tin Man, Tin where man. A, a ship is also alive, is yeah. also... There's this guy that's like trying to get in the ship's head. Mm-hmm. Just very lonely, reaching out and made a connection to the only thing that would listen. I feel like Aww. your synopsis is kind of an accurate memory of this episode for me from now on always. It's like, yeah, right. that's the best I can always summarize this one <laughs> in terms of what stuck with me. <laughs> yeah. It was more complex than that, but like I yeah, this one was this one was tough in terms of like really pinning it down and a little slow too. Yeah, well, and this is another, it didn't follow the the A-B format. It just really stuck on this A Yeah, that... Yeah, we had that last episode with Captain's Holiday. It was just plowing through A, and we get that a little bit again. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. but this one's really just hitting this kind of annoying A plot over and over and over. Yeah, this guy. <laughs> so what happens in this episode? How does it even start? We're, we're going on a rather routine surveying mission, and we find out that the USS Hood is intercepting, and they didn't tell us they were showing up. Yeah, and not only that, they're like this guy's like an old friend. They're buddies with not only Picard, but Riker as well. There's like that... It's a weird, like, straight guy, bro, locker room <laughs> thing where they have the sort of nod of, like, Robert? they've been up to some William. shenanigans. Yeah. You went to Risa? I went um, to Risa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they all went to Risa together and they don't talk about it. You don't talk about Risa. <laughs> hey, that, that it was Vegas. We were right. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Totally. I think they're also yeah, trying yeah. to build some continuity with other starship captains out there. I feel like half the starship captains yeah. we, we meet, everybody's been like, oh, I served with them 20 years ago. Right. And also, we've only met sort of the admirality, and they've all been just jerks. <laughs> yeah. It's nice to have someone else that's not a jerk or an imposter yeah. or, you know, someone turning on Starfleet. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. It's always better to be familiar from an improv standpoint. Yeah. Well, Xander, you brought up a good point when we watched, um, I believe it was The Offspring, and you mentioned that, like, oh, yeah, Starfleet Admiralty is always the bad guy in a lot of situations, right? I mean, they're the good guy in the canon of the show, but they're the bad guy in our immediate episodes because they're always trying to stop the crew of the Enterprise from doing something we are excited about. Okay, but you climbed the rungs of power that high, and you never looked down. <laughs> I like to associate it to being, like, the assistant director on a set. It's like we're all afraid. Everyone's afraid of the assistant director because it's their job to be the ones to bring the bad news, the good news. They're just telling you yeah. what to do. Do you know oh. I used to AD? <laughs> I do. I can tell. Yeah. <laughs> but you know what I mean? That's how an AD would like, tell us. They know what they're... <laughs> 
they're going into, they're signing up for, there's this expectation to be tough but fair. And I feel like that's sort of this admirality. Mm-hmm. Like, they've got to be the ones. Someone's mm-hmm. got to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they have to set that standard. Someone's got to. Makes sense. But this yeah. captain, Captain DeSoto, is a little bit different. He's really chill and lean back and just like, hey, you know what? Here's some secrets and we got a passenger for you. So have fun, you galaxy class starship. Yeah. He calls them a galaxy quest. Galaxy. Yeah. <laughs> Did you catch that? That well, was great. Galaxy Shout class out. starship. Yeah. So uh, he, he totally said the phrase "galaxy quest." Or I he swear said like to "galaxy Jesus. boys" or something like that. You boys in your galaxy quest. Galaxy class. You might have heard class. So the Enterprise is. Fuck a- you guys. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it, it could be our fault. It could but like, be whatever you want. I'm pretty sure that's what they're referencing. Uh, the Enterprise is a galaxy class. The first Enterprise back in uh, original Star Trek was called Constitution class. Exactly. Uh, the hood, which appears, is the uh, Excelsior class, I believe. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there's different levels of starship, which is like the Enterprise is one of the few that's like that. There's only there's only a right. few galaxy class starships, so they're allowed to go way out and do the crazy stuff, which is why On this, that he luxury can't do that liner. Much. Well, yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly. At this point, the the Enterprise is the flagship of the Fener- uh, Federation, so it's like the the number one. Uh, technologically advanced ship they could produce at this time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So there aren't a, f- a lot of them. Yeah. Um, Hell yeah. And we find out that the passenger that's coming aboard along with this secret mission is a fellow named Tam Elbron, which makes everybody kind of sit up a little straighter. And I believe it's Riker who mentions, like, of the incident or whatever it was. Yeah. Because Tam Riker had Tam Elbron just sounds like the name of a drag. <laughs> I guess <laughs> he's a drag. Uh huh. I got that term from the movie Grease. I see. <laughs> Even his name sounds uh, like a drag. Right, right. Uh, but it doesn't sound like a drag name, or does? Yeah, it? that's what I thought you were referencing at first. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, but yeah, Riker. Immediately, we sense another uh, history that we're not talking about. Um, some incident has gone down, and Riker mentions like he lost two of his friends that he knew from the academy, and we see that Deanna Troy also has a history uh, with this character. Yeah, not so much a colleague from college, but a patient. A patient. Dun, dun, dun. <sighs> we find out that this is another Betazoid, uh, and that uh, Deanna encountered him when she was in college, but uh, or s- going to school for psychology. Uh, and yeah, he was a patient there. Mm-hmm. And what we learned about him rather quickly is that he has uh, some pretty hypersensitive ESP in that like his, what is it? Her empathic abilities? Is that how you would summarize it? Cause she's also telepathic. She's telepathic in that she can read. Well, she's empathic. He's telepathic or is like, is it like a sliding yeah. scale? I think so. They're, they We just get a bit of like Betazoid lore mm-hmm. of like, okay, traditionally in this species, this happens around adolescence, but sometimes there's a case where these abilities awaken at an early age and it's too much for the kid to handle. Right. Uh, and so they try to do training and stuff like that, but sometimes they, there's just no quote unquote helping them. Yeah. How do you handle an adult size emotional intelligence when it's being forced into a child's brain? That'll F you up. So this, I think, is the direct parallel to what you could say is the autism scale of this oversensory, like, overload, especially from an early age. You're getting, like, extreme sights and sounds, and it's uh, affecting your brain in a way that is hard for even an adult to, to comprehend. Uh, and you're just, uh, you know, there's even the talk of, like, 
how they fit into society because of this and you know it just they they become untrusting of people because they can hear their inner thoughts too soon and it's too loud and it doesn't match what they're saying and so uh that's also this perceptibility that a lot of people on the autism spectrum have of like i can see through what you're saying because i've tra- i've had to train myself to be more quote unquote human in society's eyes yeah yeah, he tries. <laughs> he tries. Yeah, yeah. So, like, we were talking before we started recording about this guy's likability a little bit, right? Mm. Because, I don't know, I think all three of us agree he was kind of annoying at first, right? Especially because sure. of how... At first, at, at middle, he, at end. Well, yeah, yeah. I, I, I do, I do, yeah, I didn't really find him very Just appealing throughout. Just put him in a baby but... <laughs> cradle inside of a living ship and let him... <laughs> but I think what they're trying to do to is, sh- is show how frustrated he is with what is going on around him. I mean, as you pointed out, yeah. Xander, like, it's... It's, it's sensory overload, but it's not just senses. It's emotions and thoughts and exactly. feelings. Like, and we we uh, we see that it's like a crystallized thought. Whereas Deanna gets like these washes of emotions. Like maybe she guesses at what people are feeling. He can hear like the exact sentences that people are saying in their mind's eye or whatever. Yeah, that's interesting because a lot of media when it shows telepathy you're just hearing the thoughts but not necessarily also the emotions of course you can hear the intonation of Mm -hmm. the emotion but getting the emotion itself Mm -hmm. definitely overwhelming I can't even handle my own. How would I handle everyone <laughs> well, else? Well, that's the yeah. thing. And that's why I think it makes sense that he's so irritable all the time and impatient with yes. people. Is like they're trying to show that this guy has to live with these consequences and he's doing the best he can. It's kind of crazy he's not insane. Do you remember when right. – uh, was it Kevin, well, uh, the guy who bombarded uh, Troy with all of the thoughts to block her from realizing that he was an alien on that yes, planet, yeah. right? Like she uh, was in- he blocked her by replaying the sound of a ballerina jewelry <laughs> box right. over yeah, and yeah. over. Which, well, yeah. that, that would, would do it. But insane. like he was also like sending her a lot of telepathic thoughts to like blanket it out, right? It's sort of like a bombardment. And yeah. I feel like that's what this guy goes through all the time, but he's just used to it. So like he's got to live – he's pretty much living in a concert hall while everybody's crying all the time or something. Like mm-hmm. it's, it, it has got to oh, be God. maddening, right? And- a concert hall of everyone crying <laughs> sounds yeah. like the most terrifying nightmare I could ever. Well, in all emotions, not just tears, right? So, like, I don't blame him for just being like, ah, shut up, everyone. Let me just get through this so we can move on (laughs) and I can be alone. Yeah, and and we see uh, it's interesting that the Enterprise would be the only place that he could find this, but his relationship with Data, because he automatically is startled by Data's appearance uh, when he first spoke because he didn't sense him and he didn't even notice that, oh, that's not just a piece of equipment in the room. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he was genuinely Uh, surprised. Like there were three people standing there and he literally had to look up like, whoa, yeah, what's you? What are you? Uh, Yeah. Yeah. I I like that aspect of it. It, That made him that gave us a chance to like him is that he likes one of our favorite characters. And he could connect yeah. with Yeah, but he was still so stuck in this state. I mean, the way the actor played it was stuck in this state of annoyed that he didn't get to enjoy Data really fully. It was like he tolerated mm. Data, which mm-hmm. had he enjoyed Data's presence in the way that he later enjoys the vessel of the ship, then maybe <laughs> I would have found more joy in watching his performance. So here's a question then. Like, as either the, the actor or the director, what do you do with this character? Because this character is kind of written this way as to, like, to be a little irritable and be impatient with folks. So, like, how do you play it a little more likable? I don't, I don't know the answer to that. 
Mm, I don't know if likable is really the the way to go, but more sympathetic. Mm -hmm. I think if we we had the options while he was interacting with Data, and we get it with Troy as well to to an extent, of really opening up into the emotional state of what it's like to deal with this. Um, But I do do like the choice that they made with him because personally I feel like the the main – or one of the things that people with autism have to deal with is other people thinking they're annoying. Yes. Uh, just because of how they either express themselves or, um, you know, how they their thoughts come across to society at large. And the, I think the quiet moments with Data or with Troy is the, the call out to either other autistic people or people who are willing to sort of give a sympathetic ear to someone going through this and go, okay... What are you feeling? How does this feel? Or, um, like you said, it, it's cold even when he's delivering these things to Data. But there is this sympathetic aspect to it that you can sort of connect mm-hmm. with, of just like, oh, he's been outside of his society forever, and finally another outcast that he can connect with. Yeah, totally. I, I think just from an acting perspective, take the choice to when you are only with someone who is giving you positive feelings, then react off those positive feelings, like in the scene with Deanna, Mm. where he's able to complain, but also say, you kind of know what I felt, because you feel what I feel. And those are the moments to really show the contrast and give us a chance to start liking him. Yeah, he's got this chip on his shoulder about that event, too, that obviously Riker's upset with him about, right? In the the briefing room when he's explaining the whole Tin Man conundrum, which we learned, okay, Tin Man is the code name for this organic ship. We believe it's organic. It's it's actually a life form and a starship Mm -hmm. that's orbiting this star that's about to explode. And we're heading towards what the Romulans claim is their own territory to go inspect it and we're actually on a race with them to see you can get there first and make first contact effectively right yeah first contact that is a great name for a movie yeah yeah i also like that moment of like he's getting so frustrated with everybody and he like zips over to Riker and he's like oh yeah billy boy i also wasn't responsible for that either. yeah <laughs> Right, because there's the looming backstory that we never really mm-hmm. got the answer mm-hmm. to in a, in a in a way, but we saw the repercussions of mm-hmm. uh, both that that I forget we, his name. Tam we did is, get the answer. Oh, right. He says he wasn't listening. Uh, the to, answer right? is that no, he um, he became too empathetic for the for whatever did the destruction, mm-hmm. the other side, mm-hmm. which is a. a a precursor to what is going to happen in this episode foreshadowing of uh oh i the problem was i became sympathetic to the enemy or quote-unquote enemy of the federation and he didn't warn the captain in time to that would have saved lives in this particular incident which is shitty it's totally shitty but if you're a complete empath right how do you not how do you turn it off? Yeah, yeah. How do you turn it off? And I think that kind of goes back to like our annoyance slash irritability thing of like, man, if you if you're overwhelmed by by noise or by that kind of sensory overload all the time, you're gonna seem annoying because you're irritated. I've had construction yeah. outside my apartment for the past six months, and every time <laughs> I look at it, I get in a pissy mood. <laughs> and like, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I don't hear everybody's emotions, and I'm kind of annoying when I have to talk about that. So like, I kind of get it. Like. That's that's the thing that you mentioned, Xander, is like the perception of these people being quote unquote annoying, but because that's the way people feel about them. But mm-hmm. 
our issues with them is their outward irritability to the things that they're experiencing. Right, right. It's like yeah. me when I have a headache, which is all the time. <laughs> right. Yeah, people living with chronic pain. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there are a lot of different situations that this could be analogous to. For the, re- the I think the main thing is you don't know what somebody is going through that yeah. day or, or their, that life. The more that I think about this episode, I, I though I didn't really love like sitting through it, I do appreciate the choices they made for this kind of tortured soul. Like even when they were doing the briefing scene, like everybody's paying attention, and when they finally pan to show him, his head is in his hands. He's, he's like, yeah. "This is so boring. We need to move on. Stop, yeah, stop yeah, feeling yeah. emotions." <laughs> Why do you right. say it out loud? Just think it out, me. Yeah. It's faster. Yeah. yeah, you have to hear them think it, and then hear them repeat themselves out mm-hmm. loud. I, you know, this just came to me because I had said that you don't know what somebody else is going through, except for he does. He's the one that knows what everyone is going through all the time. Yeah, he can't but not knows know what, what going they're through. going through, which yeah. in itself is just a completely different burden. Yeah, I really invasive. feel like he should go on a silent meditation, really learn to to hone that in. I mean, you you got to be able to make your own white noise. Uh, yeah, I feel like he can't. And like I feel like he compensates by what Crusher mentions about his history is that he always tries to take these missions that are away from humanoids. Yeah. So he's always doing these first contact missions or whatever or anything that'll get him away from people with similar thoughts. Yeah, yeah. it's very not it's very self-aware of what he's doing to try to make society better by establishing first contact. He he's using his gifts in the way that would better society. Uh, and he's aware of like which missions would be particularly suited for him. Right, right. Total non sequitur, but he reminds me of Will Ferrell and Elf, just costume wise. <laughs> yeah, he kind of yeah, does. There were some interesting costume choices yeah, for th- him. Yeah, that scene with uh, in Data's quarters, he's very much got that green kind of tunicky outfit. He wears right? it the whole time. He wears, yeah. yeah, but like it looks particularly green in a couple of those scenes. Like the bridge lighting makes in it look stark more white too. room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Well, not a lot happens except for him complaining, <laughs> complaining to different people, complaining in different rooms, talking about, oh my yeah. gosh, it sucks to be me. They even try to add some stakes by adding that race against the Romulans, but we get this like insight from him because his telepathy is so like pinpoint that he can he knows exactly what the Romulan captain's going to do or not do or whatever. Uh, and then there's this like uh, he he uh, is warning the Tin Man that the Romulans are now tr- they not only are trying to make first contact but when that's not successful they're going to destroy it and so he takes the center bridge and telepatha- telepathically connects with the Tin Man to warn him after shoving Picard out of the way <laughs> yeah. I was like hold on that's got to be violating some Starfleet code right there I need to be at the front of the view screen that exactly. is my, my telepathy doesn't work back here this is my close up <laughs> <laughs> well and then and th- that's when he um, tells Gum to mm-hmm. blow this shit up he just says warning there's danger and then Gum to spins magically <laughs> <laughs> he does, does a, a magic wet, spin right? yeah. Yeah. then there's this black of you know explosion radiation whatever the Romulans had been racing much faster closer to it so they are obliterated and then it reverberates out and and shakes up the whole enterprise and Tam you really needed to send the message but not the ship I'm on yeah (laughs) he was unclear about that part that was also like the last straw for Picard who saw these actions was like reminded of the past things that Tam has done and said oh he has no regard for this ship and that can't be so this is not happening again and you're done You're done. Yeah. I gave you a chance. Get out of here. It was during that scene where I grew for some appreciation of, like, the production team on Star Trek because 
the the blast hits the Enterprise and the Enterprise's model and the Romulan model. Actually, that's yeah. the second blast, but they they like spin out right. And when the Enterprise spins, the actors and it's they really do just like, uh, yeah, a walk around. <laughs> Riker and Picard both start walking backwards and like slowly turning, and everybody seated good. just kind of leans. And it's a very quick shot, so you wouldn't really notice unless you're looking at it. But like, it's a very simple movement. But they do such quick shots, and they kind of tilt the camera and they they show some motion and stuff like that to make it seem like there's a bunch of force being applied. But really, they just did a pirouette and sat down. Is it's what the direction good. was on it's, stage. Yeah, <laughs> pretty good. I liked it. Well, that's what I also I love about it. whenever there's whenever there's like a battle scene, right? What's happening with the actors is this. Oh yeah, the shaking. Yeah, and yeah, and they all have to shake like in the same direction, which is actually harder than it looks. Okay, so speaking of like battle scenes and stuff like that, sometimes because I, I forget the details of episodes specifically, um, there are some shots that you see, and this one had some like red herring uh, background shots that I thought for sure were gonna happen. Specifically, the engineer, Russell. Uh, there were a few times where we would cut down to engineering and Jordy was doing something and he'd be like, Russell, go over to this circuit board and do the thing. And I, w- I had the note, Russell's going to die. <laughs> like, there's going to be... It's, the shots were set up so that I was like, this looks like a pyro effect is going to go off and Russell's going to be burnt to a crisp. And there's a named like NPC. Yeah. And I, th- I thought for sure something was going to happen yeah. to him. And nothing does. That's a really good. That's a really good point. For now, um, right. So with like, like other crewmates on the ship, I feel like there's there's two purposes when they do that. It's either to further mm-hmm. establish the world of Star Trek to let you know that hey, we have other players here, and they will maybe yeah. come back in a different way. Because even some yeah. characters we've seen briefly do appear in other episodes as themselves. Nurse right? Ogawa, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, uh, O'Brien was in. O'Brien this was just is- like transporter chief number one was all he was at yep. the first couple seasons now he has his own name yeah. he'll get his own plot lines and own episodes he'll become a main yeah. uh, recurring character on ds9 I'm ready for those um yeah, he has yeah, yeah. his own You're erotic really series on, on the internet like it's crazy thank you yeah You're welcome. Oh, so you read my fanfic then <laughs> <laughs> yeah we all did yeah, so like I, 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 the other, the other, of course, being exactly what you're talking about, which is that they are important enough for us to remember when they for die. When they die. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, in old Trek, that was called like the red shirt syndrome. Like the security was wearing red, and so the red shirts, mm-hmm. when you saw them, like, oh, that one's probably gonna die. Where are you from, son? I'm from Iowa. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, and in this, uh, security wears yellow, and thought I thought for sure Russell was gonna die. Well, maybe he did in like a deleted scene. They just maybe. didn't have time to go over it. Maybe oh. right because there were there were casualties in this one, right? For sure, the whole the Romulans uh, in that first one, the Enterprise only got a little bump and the systems got knocked out, but full ships got destroyed uh, by that warning uh, blast from the yeah. Thing. But yeah, you know, yeah. someone was juggling knives in the hollow deck, and yeah, they're gone. Right. They turn the safety off when they juggle knives, obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the only way to do it. Otherwise, yeah. you don't feel alive. Juggling knives? That's the activity on the holodeck? Yeah. How else would they die from having to do a pirouette? I, w- <laughs> I really hope it was Ensign Russell, too, and that's how he went. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's how he went. Okay, uh, Russell, you can have the rest of the day off. Yes! I'm going to go juggle knives on the holodeck. No, Russell! No! All right, so <laughs> GOM2 defends itself from the Romulans, and mm-hmm. it, it knocks out the ship systems, or at least their warp drive, right? So they can't get closer yeah. yet. And they know another Romulan ship shield. is behind. Oh, yes, and their shields, no, very importantly, yeah. because there's another Romulan ship coming, and they're afraid 
that they yes. will be defenseless. So we talk about how the Romulans decided if they can't beat him, they will explode him, and they want to destroy Gomtu. Right. Now yeah. that is revealed by that, uh, the, what's his name, Tam, revealed that's the captain's intentions, and that was what the warning was for. Right, uh, oh, right, no, right, you're going right. to die. And then yeah, I was here. Out. Yeah, no, no worries. Uh, I was just kidding. Oh, just good. for other people to recap. Mm-hmm. But now we know, like, we can't get closer. We also don't have shields, and we know that there's another Romulan ship that's coming probably to destroy us and this thing now. Right. The Romulans. Am I right? I was trying to destroy us. But then Tam learns all these things about this weird vessel that looks like a football. Like, <laughs> it used to have millions of it floating around the universe, maybe from a different galaxy. It's super old, and it thinks it's the only one of its kind left. And it's come to the supernova to die. To die, yeah, Ugh. to end its own existence, right? Wow. Well, we also, it, sort of earlier we had found out but that this thing is pretty much hollow. It's like an organic ship that used to contain carbon life forms that have since disappeared or died or whatever got reabsorbed into the walls don't think about it <laughs> uh, <laughs> the chair yeah, was a person <laughs> gotta get hungry right yeah well the captain is now a furniture um <laughs> no <laughs> uh but no and then he comes up tam comes up with the brilliant idea of like i'll go over there and sink uh, myself to this thing and we'll live forever <laughs> Except you already know it's about to commit star suicide. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and so I think he either is convinced that he can convince it otherwise, or uh, he would die with it. In that case, it was meant to be, and it was destined. Yeah, I think he's fulfilling his duty as like the first contact guy to go check it out and be like, "Hey, buddy, before you fall into the, the gravity well of the star and explode." other societies so yeah. he goes over there with data <laughs> well and there's a, 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 a debate on who's going to go with him because it's either going to be data or troy uh and, or by himself and picard is like okay troy you're not going no and then he's like oh i'll go by myself and then uh the argument was that like data could go to not only remind him of the mission because the fear was that he would be too empathic again uh, and get sort of wrapped up in the whole thing. But also, if, like, for whatever reason, the life support was unable to go, Data would be the one that could survive. Great point. And anyway. so, so then they do go over there, and he feels all of the feelings all at once because the, the football ship tries to give him all the information of mm. an entire civilization all at once. But then it's like, oh, okay, you want to trickle. No big deal. And then he feels how much the ship cared for its passengers, which is real sweet. And there is this thought, okay, well, maybe it's just like, you know, postpartum depression and this football needs a little baby (laughs) to take care of. And then it will want to live again. Yeah. Yeah. So then it uh, produces a giant human cradle. (laughs) <laughs> Tam just craw- or betazoid cradle betazoid. that Tam just crawls on into and says, "I found Mama," yeah. and that's the end. Well, if wow. you think about it, uh, he kind of got what he wanted in that info dump, and it was the first time that it was like too much for him to handle because in the briefing he was complaining about how slow it was for everybody to say things out loud. Finally, he gets an info dump, and he's like, "Oh, that's what that feels like." Okay, I get it. <laughs> Could we slow this down? Yeah. <laughs> But then he's very cagey about what he was going to do and what was going to happen. He's like, to Data, tell them everything. Goodbye. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we figured, dude, you surprise no one by sacrificing yourself. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think we all see that mama. coming. And he like there's so much exposition dump, which I think is another part of the pacing problem of this episode is mm-hmm. like he tells us so much about what he knows. And there's really not a lot of easier ways to get that out, especially when it comes to the history of a ship that doesn't have a voice. So I understand what they yeah. were <laughs> restricted by. Yeah. Yeah. So he stays on board. And meanwhile, back on the Enterprise, we're monitoring all this. And did the, the other Romulan ship shows up, right? Oh, yeah, because they talk to him. Remember, they talk to the commander of that ship. I'm trying to remember the order of all this here. So the yeah, the others, the Romulans show up and they're they're pissed about the other ship being destroyed. And uh, they're going to say we're going to we're going to kill. Yeah, we're going to destroy Tin Man anyway, especially because of what it did. And so the Enterprise says, no, don't. <laughs> I don't really know how it, like, how, how does that resolve? Like, they, they, they... Well, the star also is going to explode. Right. So that's the thing. It's like a countdown of, like, okay, if you're too, if we're too close to this, we don't really have shields. We can't really move. Like, this star is going to explode. Also, the Romulans are here, but they're having... Why they? Why don't they attack? Right I think away? they're about to attack. I think literally they're about pointing their guns at each other when the star explodes. Is how that resolves. Yeah. Like that's why I couldn't remember. Is like why didn't didn't they? But you. But that's the occurrence. Is boom. Yeah, and then the Gomtu does their p- magic push, and it's fast enough. This is when we get the centrifugal force because they're going that's, so that's far when this away so right, fast. Right. Yeah. That they're like pretty much transported to the other side. Yeah, they're throwing like billions of light years or something, or miles or whatever. Yeah, yeah, and also it's unclear whether Data made it back on the ship or <laughs> had exploded along with the. That Tam was a little Deus Ex Machina, like yep. suddenly appears just off frame. <laughs> like, yeah, I think there was a sound effect in there. I couldn't hear it, but like, yeah. or I mean, I thought I heard it, but like, pretty much is like Data. Yeah. <gasps> Especially because there was zero reference to any sort of transporter technology, like, at all yeah. the rest of the time. Very convenient. Very, very convenient. Mm-hmm, that was mm-hmm. techno magic right there. But Data's uh, ex- explains to people, like, oh, where's Tam? He's like, well, I, I think he got exactly what he wanted. Like, the one person yeah. who shouldn't be speaking in, like, analogies. In cryptic, right. Yeah. <laughs> he has chosen to annihilate himself. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, there, well said. Um, and so we kind of we're fine with that. And uh, the Romulans uh, presumably survive, but we have no sign of them. So they were pushed away as well. And that's kind of how the episode kind of culminates story wise. Right. We do get a final scene between Troy and Data in the briefing room. with some excellent lighting. Yeah. Excellent lighting. Mm-hmm. It's definitely a, a mood choice. As they kept it very dark in there too, to kind of reflect the somber really, nature of like, what had happened. Yeah, I felt it enhanced Data's makeup so much that it made it look so cool. Yeah, it, it, it his his makeup really needs to be in darker lighting, as we've noted before, right. because it really yeah. comes out pretty clowny if it's too bright. That's true. For sure. Um, but yeah, oh, I wanted to throw out there, too, for any World of Darkness fans, that this character of Tam is very much a Malkavian character. Uh, so <laughs> yes. if you wanted an example of Clan Malkavian, this Those is Those eyes. <laughs> like, this is one of those examples where you see the Beta Zoid eyes, right? Yeah. Those contacts. With the lighter complexion, when his eyes feel like they should be blue, and then he has the full black contact. Yeah, yeah. I, when I was a kid, I didn't know the black contact thing, and I just thought he had, like, intensely brown eyes, so brown that they were black. And now I see, oh, mm. you don't notice as much on Marina, yeah, Marina yeah. Sir, just because, you know, she has a darker complexion with her hair and her eyebrows and all that. But with this guy, she, very strong. Yeah, you expect her to have a darker iris to begin with, mm. or right. dark brown iris. Yeah, it is very striking on this guy that definitely has blue eyes. Yeah, right. 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 Um, and Data relates to 
uh, Troy in that last scene about mm. uh, Tam's last wishes to remain with uh, Tin Man and oh, go out that uh, way. I just realized that your that he did not come back on a transport. He came back when Tin Man transported him back. Right. right, right. But it was never established that Tin Man could do that, or that was even an option. It was just kind of a and oh after yeah, by the, the star way. exploded, which presumably destroyed Tin Man. Right. So why didn't he just transport the ship? Why did he have to do the magic? Th- okay, whatever. It's fine. <laughs> Loop, put you on there. Push you spin yeah. in like a teacup ride. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> that is exactly the movement everyone did. Yep. You're welcome, podcast. <laughs> this is actually based on a short story called Tin Woodman. Oh. That was written in uh, the 70s. Okay. It was written for Amazing Stories, uh, the old magazine that yeah, was like a like sci fi magazine. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I believe, let me see, I think it was nominated for, yes, the story itself was nominated for a Nebula Award, which oh. is like a sci fi literature award. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so they took, I think some of the writers of that story worked on this and maybe pitched it as a episode and mm. just kind of took a lot of the storyboards of it and put it into Star Trek. And here we are. So that's kind of a cool. I didn't. I didn't know that much about these stories. I always felt they're when, mostly original. When did the Wizard of Oz come out? <laughs> Before this. Before the seventies, <laughs> like the thirties. Like, okay. Cool. Yeah. Like way earlier. <laughs> the twenty seventh century. That's but, why you know, I asked. They started before. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Uh, well, that was the Tin Man. I. Yeah. yeah I think I, I want to take away from this episode that like irritability and annoyance are hard to write in a character that you like we've we've yeah. always we, we've met a lot of, of characters that are guest stars that we find annoying because they are an antagonist mm-hmm. in some way even if they are a good guy in the in the canon of the show right um yeah. so it, it's always hard to write a character that you want the audience to be kind of irritated with but you know is a hero in some way I don't, yeah i don't know the best line to to ride with that well, I feel like personally for Star Trek, the type of fan that it sort of attracts at least or has attracted in the past, um, there tends to be this relation to characters like Spock or Data or someone who is like on the crew but just separated by something, uh, whether it's a lack of emotion or a lack mm-hmm. of understanding of humans uh, in general or something like that. And so to have a character that's been embedded and grown in society that has reacted in this way is another way for the, the audience to maybe relate to this. Uh, and there wasn't really a, a good solution that was presented, which is why I don't really... It's not really the best analogy, but that it's there for someone to see themselves in the future. I find it's an actor choice. No matter how the character's written on paper, you can always play a character to be more likable than it's written, and I think that that is the actor's job. Mm. Do the words as written and make us still relate to you. This is a good exercise for both of you to explore some point in your role-playing acting careers, I mm-hmm. think, because I believe we try to always make characters that are somewhat likable, but we, we've we played with characters that are I irritable. You, you do. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, I've been characters that are irritable. Right, but can you I've make them that are irritable and still charming, but also, like, the audience doesn't want to like them? I don't know. Like, I feel, I feel like that's yeah. an interesting uh, hoop to have to jump well, through. Well, yeah, and you bring up a good point, though, that likability for a character and relatability to a character is different for different people. Yes. Mm-hmm. So while we may not have liked this character, someone else may have seen this character and thought, that's me. And so in that, that's their favorite character. Or, you know, you never know from... I am irritating. 
Yeah. I'm yeah, good. exactly. <laughs> a lot of people are very self-aware because they have to be. It's, it's actually kind of convenient this episode happens now because the next episode we get kind of an exploration of a somewhat similar thing because the next episode is called Hollow Pursuits. And it's about mm. a character named Lieutenant Barkley. Have we talked about Barkley yet? I don't think so because Barkley, yeah, you love to hate him. Right. So we'll we'll talk about it more next episode. I'm excited for Becca to experience Barkley. I don't know Barkley. Lieutenant Barkley, you an, will. an introverted diagnostic engineer, is having difficulties dealing with his fantasies. This is the oh. this is the not good Barkley episode, is it? From what I recall, but we'll find out. Yeah. <laughs> uh oh. Well, uh, an episode about someone's fantasies being enacted against their will. This could go a lot of places. It will. Mm. And let's get there. Engage. Engage. (laughs) It's weird to say that on the